Last week, we saw that King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, had dreamed a very disturbing set of dreams. It woke him up, and he was very desperate to find out the interpretation of the dream. So he called all his wise men and elite people together, and he charged them with not only giving them the interpretation of the dream, but also with giving him what the dream was. They, of course, could not do this. So the king, in all his wrath, ordered that they all be put to death. This included Daniel and his three friends. Daniel and his friends prayed to God. God gave Daniel the dream and its meaning and told the king. The king's anger was settled. And as a result, Daniel saved his friends, saved the wise men. And King Nebuchadnezzar elevated Daniel to a high position of power in Babylon And then Daniel made his friends rule and reign with him. We said that in Daniel chapter 2, in this story, we see that Daniel is a type of Christ. That Jesus is the greater Daniel that we needed and still need today, who appeases the king's wrath, who saves his enemies, and then is highly exalted and elevates his friends to rule and reign with him. Last week, we skipped over verses 31 to 45 to conclude what happened as a result of Daniel giving the dream. So today, we will go to verse 31 and go through verse 45, Lord willing, and see what this dream actually was. We didn't talk about the dream last week. We wanted to see how Daniel chapter 2 pictured the Lord Jesus and the gospel. So let's get into the specifics of what this dream was and what it meant. Daniel begins his address to King Nebuchadnezzar in verse 31, and he says, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The word for image here is the same as the word statue. The way Daniel describes this statue is that it was a mighty statue. A huge statue, very, very big and tall. And that it was exceedingly bright, so bright, shining and reflective. It commanded attention. It was massive and terrifying. And everyone looked at it, could not miss it. And as a matter of fact, Nebuchadnezzar was there looking at the statue in his dream. And Daniel says, there you were, Nebuchadnezzar, standing and looking at the statue. He's giving Nebuchadnezzar exactly what he dreamed. And of course, the reason Daniel knows this is because God gave him the dream and the meaning. Verse 32, Daniel begins to describe the statue that he sees in the king's dream. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron. Its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. So we have head made out of fine gold. Fine gold, not just any gold. Expensive gold, valuable gold. Chest and arms, silver. The middle of the statue and its thighs were made out of bronze. Legs, iron, and feet were mixed with iron and clay. Quite the sight, huh? And then Daniel says in verse 34, As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. 
Nebuchadnezzar is standing there looking in his dream. He sees this massive statue and out of nowhere comes a stone from the sky and it smashes the feet of the statue and breaks it into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the earth. This was the dream. And now we will give its interpretation. So Daniel then sees there's a stone smashing the feet into pieces. Then the rest of the statue begins to dissolve or disintegrate. And it just kind of vanishes away. And Daniel describes it like the chaff. Chaff is the dry, scaly, protective casing of seed grains. They blow away like nothing. If you're a city boy like me, then maybe the best way to understand what chaff is, if you don't know what chaff is, is when you pick up a dandelion and it's all white and you blow it and all the seeds go everywhere. That's what happens to the statue. It's just there, solid metal, gold, silver, bronze, iron. But then once the stone smashes the feet, the rest of the statue just blows away like chaff in the wind like it was nothing. And it blew it away so that it could not be found again. Gold, iron, silver, bronze, gone, untraceable, unfindable. But what kind of stone can cause this destruction? It was a stone not made with human hands. And once it hit the statue and the statue broke, Daniel says that the stone grew and became a big mountain and filled the whole earth. And so everywhere you went on the earth was the mountain that was once a stone. And you thought you had weird dreams. Perhaps Nebuchadnezzar should not have that pizza late at night anymore. <laughs> but we know that this, is not, this dream is not given by bad pizza or eating a midnight snack. It's caused and given to Nebuchadnezzar by God. God wants Nebuchadnezzar to know something. And this is why he woke frightened, scared, and wanted to know the meaning of this dream. And Daniel says... Okay, that's what you dreamt, and now this is what it means. Look at verse 37. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you ruler over them all, you are the head of gold." So now Daniel's going to describe this statue and what it means. And what does he say? You, O Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. You are the top of that statue. Daniel calls Nebuchadnezzar the king of kings. Now you're saying, wait a minute, I thought that was only reserved for Jesus. Well, yes, of course. But it is true from a human perspective that at this time, Nebuchadnezzar rules the world. Nebuchadnezzar was the greatest king of them all during that time. He was ruthless and most to be feared. He was rich and had power and authority. 
But Daniel reminds them of where this power and authority and glory come from. This is not possessed by Nebuchadnezzar because Nebuchadnezzar acquired it on his own power. It has all been given to him by who? God. Daniel says, to whom the God of heaven has given you the kingdom, the power, the might, the glory. Remember, it was God who delivered his people Judah into the hands of the king. It was God who elevated Nebuchadnezzar to such power and prestige and glory to be feared on the earth. This comes from God, the God of heaven. It is God. Remember, Daniel prayed last week in his prayer to God. It is God who sets up kings and tears down kings. This is what Daniel knows about his God, that God is sovereign even to put an evil ruler like Nebuchadnezzar in charge and to bring judgment on his people. And Daniel is being bold enough to tell Nebuchadnezzar where his authority comes from. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar could have got really upset and Daniel could have been dead on the moment. But Daniel's faith is in his God, knowing that God gave him the meaning to tell Nebuchadnezzar this way. Nebuchadnezzar is described here as the head of gold. Of course, gold, the most, one of the most valuable metals on all earth. Shiny, you can see it, the brightness, the exceeding glory of that. Describes the wealth of the king and of his Babylonian empire. Let's bring up that map which shows the Babylonian empire. This at this time is what Nebuchadnezzar ruled over. The Babylonian Empire, this is about the year 600 BC, lasts until about the 530s. Nebuchadnezzar ruled from Egypt all the way east of Babylon there to the Persian Gulf. And even some maps include the Arabian Desert, but there's nothing there but sand. So um, I guess he could rule over there too. But you could see the stretch all the way up to Tarsus, this vast empire of wealth and riches and glory and power that he had. You are the head of this statue, O king. But verse 39, Daniel says this. Let's keep going down the statue because you're not the whole statue. You're just the head of gold. In verse 39, Daniel says, another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you. And yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. Okay, Daniel's helping us with some interpretation here. So we start with Daniel. I mean, we start with Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar being the head. The next part, which is the chest and the arms, is another kingdom. That's the kingdom made out of silver. So historically, what empire came after Babylon? And if you know your history, it was the Medo-Persian Empire. Let's bring up a map of the Medo-Persian Empire. You see, because there was a day where God judged Babylon. Just like he had judged Judah through Babylon, God judges Babylon and the Medes and Persians take over the world. And they take over Babylon. And it's through the Persian Empire that God brings his people back to the land. And they rebuild the temple and they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem through King Cyrus. So the next part of the statue, the silver chest and arms, is the Medo-Persian Empire. They're inferior to you, meaning they're not as glorious as the Babylonian Empire, but they will overtake you. And yet after them is a third empire. Which empire came after Medo-Persia? The Greek Empire. Let's bring up a map of the Greek Empire. This is world history. 
You go from Babylon to Medo-Persia to the Greek Empire. Now, these are things that are not known at the time, what the names of these empires are, but we look back at history and see what came afterwards. After that is a kingdom of bronze, which shall rule the earth, Daniel says. The Greek Empire, and who controlled the Greek Empire, who made the Greek Empire so great? It was Alexander the Great. You just conquer and conquer some more and get some more. But the Greek Empire had an expiration. The Greek Empire did not last forever. And in verse 40, we learn of a fourth kingdom. Let's look at verse 40. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these And what comes after the Greek Empire? The Roman Empire. Let's bring up a map of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire's vastness is even greater than all the ones before it. The Roman Empire went all the way out there to Spain, all the way to Mesopotamia, down to Egypt, and covering the world. And this is the Roman Empire at its greatest peak, at its greatest extent. And the Roman Empire... Does not last forever, right? Rome came into power and the Roman Empire ended around the year 400. 400. And so the Roman Empire is represented by iron. And we know from the New Testament that Rome ruled ruthlessly like iron, crushing everyone in their sight. They die by the sword. You live by the sword. Boots at your neck. Caesar is Lord. Caesar is God. Very appropriate metal to represent Rome. Iron, strong, tough. Rome conquers other nations and brings them. And so what is the dream about? It's about the kingdoms that are coming in the future. Of course, Nebuchadnezzar's time. You have, you're the head, but Nebuchadnezzar, after you is coming another one. And after that one's coming another one. And after that is coming another one. Remember, we said there's two purposes to the book of Daniel. The first purpose is, one, how do you live as an exile in enemy territory? So Daniel and his friends are showing us. The second purpose of the book of Daniel is what? Is to encourage the exiles in Babylon that Nebuchadnezzar does not last forever. That he is not the God of this world. He does not have an eternal kingdom. There is one who does. And let's continue on in the dream. Verse 41. We're not done with the statue yet. We get to the toes, the feet and the toes. We got the legs of iron. But look at verse 41. As you saw the feet and toes of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it. And just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay, and as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with another in marriage. But they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. The the feet, the toes, are much different than the rest. The other parts of the are are metal and and solid, but the feet are brittle. They're weak. It doesn't last and they will crumble. And there's a lot of 
discussion and debate over who are the feet and the toes. And theologians have debated this for centuries, and we're not going to come to a conclusion here this morning either. It's always those pesky toes, right? They always get in the way. But there's great confidence in the first four kingdoms among Bible scholars, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Some people say that the toes or the feet represent a revived Roman Empire at the end of time, or maybe it was the Roman Empire at the fall of Rome, which is also likely as the ten toes representing ten different kings and ten different nations that emerged from that time. Um, Daniel does not write this so we could stay up late at night trying to figure out all the intricacies and details of who these kings and toes are. Again, you can get so lost in the details, you can get so lost in the forest that you miss the big point of what is happening here. Again, whoever these toes are, made out of clay and uh, iron, by the way, clay and iron don't bond well together, so it makes it brittle. And so this is why a lot of people say it's the end of the Roman Empire or revived Roman Empire because it's made up of different peoples mixed in marriage, Daniel says. And because of this, they do not last. All these different ideologies and gods, they do not last. This is the main truth of this passage. And here is the next part. The next part is about the stone. Remember the stone. There was a stone that came from heaven. And it smashed the feet of the statue. Before we get there, let's just think about this statue one other way. From top to bottom, it's gold, silver, bronze, iron, and then brittle clay, iron mixture. We see from the top to the bottom, the value of the kingdoms decline. Gold is more valuable than silver. Silver more valuable than bronze. Bronze more than iron. Iron more than clay. You have to see the value decrease and degrade over time. But you also see something different. You see the hardness of each metal get harder. Gold is very malleable. You could shape it and uh, turn it into different things. It's more malleable than silver. Silver is more malleable than bronze. Bronze more malleable than iron. And iron's not very malleable at all, is it? As far as that, when it gets hard. And so you see not only the value decrease over time, but you see what? The hardness increase over time. Talking probably most likely of the severity of each nation getting worse and worse. You have Babylon, who's pretty bad. By the time you get to Rome, this iron fist, this iron legs, oh, they are ruthless. But also probably discusses and describes their uh, relationship to God and the condition of their hearts being so hardened as time goes on. As these kingdoms march against God's people and against God's Messiah. This one statue represents the world kingdoms at this point. They all crumble and disintegrate at once. And they stand as one against the God of heaven over different periods of time. And if it does represent a kingdom at the end of this age, then that kingdom also will stand before God in opposition and will also face the same fate as the four previous. Look at verse 44. Remember, the stone that came is so important. The stone that comes from heaven and smashes the toes. Daniel describes that stone here. In, those, in, the, days of, and in the days of those kings, 
the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and break them to an end. It shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. This dream is certain and its interpretation sure. By the way, I forgot. Let's put up the image of that statue. I wanted to save it to the end in case you're wondering, how does this sort of look like? This is what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed. Head of gold, arms of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and the feet a mixture of that. And then you have the stone, this rock which breaks apart this. These four powerful kingdoms are no match for what is coming. Finally, Daniel gives and talks about this big rock which smashes the toes of the statue. And the stone represents the kingdom of God. This kingdom, Daniel describes it as being indestructible. The gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, they all destruct and blow away like the chaff in the wind. But the kingdom of God, represented by this rock, is indestructible. This kingdom is eternal in that nobody takes over. You see, Persia was there to take over the remnants of Babylon. and Greece was there to take over the remnants of uh, Persia. And Rome was there to take over the remnants of Greece. But there's nobody coming after the kingdom of God to take over the remnants of the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is eternal, indestructible. It destroys all other kingdoms and it shall stand forever. This is This kingdom is divine in origin. Remember that what Daniel said. This stone was not made by human hands. It's of a divine origin. It's of a heavenly origin. This kingdom destroys all kingdoms that ever preceded it. And there will be no kingdom to ever replace it. And Daniel says, O king, this is what it shall be. This will definitely happen. I'm not wrong in my interpretation. So what is this stone? This stone represents the messianic kingdom, the kingdom of our God. It also represents the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. Let us not forget that the Messiah was described in the Psalms as being what? A rock, a stone. This is what Luke quotes in Luke chapter 20 from the Psalms. Jesus is speaking here. And he says, he looked directly at them and says, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be what? Broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Our faith is founded and built on the Lord Jesus Christ. You either build your life on Jesus or you will be crushed by him by his wrath at his coming. This is the way it works. This is not the news that some people like to preach because it's not warm and cuddly. But this is the truth. You either repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ or you will face his wrath forever. This is what Jesus says. You either build your life upon me. I am the cornerstone. They've rejected me. And everyone who falls on this stone as a stumbling block will be broken to pieces. Reminiscent of Daniel's dream. 
of the stone that comes against the kingdoms of this world that are anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-righteousness, and for sin, and for selfishness, and, and pride, and greed, and sexual immorality. This kingdom comes and smashes all those other kingdoms that have ever come before it. The Lord Jesus relates Psalms to himself, calling him the cornerstone. Then the apostles picked up on that. Peter quoting about the cornerstone. Paul talking about the cornerstone. This stone represents a kingdom that lasts forever and ever. And this is the promise. This is the promise that Israel has been waiting and expecting. This is what was given to David as a covenant. David had a covenant given to him with God, by God, a Davidic covenant it's called, that one of his sons would sit on the throne of David forever and ever. In 2 Samuel 7, God makes his covenant with David. In 2 Samuel 7, 12-13, God says to David, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Who's that? That's Solomon. We know that. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is the promise of a forever kingdom, of a forever king, given through David's seed and David's line And that throne shall rule the world forever and ever. This is who the Messiah was to be. The Messiah was not going to come and be elected out of office. He's not going to be impeached. He's not going to be overthrown by mutiny. His throne never ends. This is what David was promised. This is what Isaiah also promises and prophesies in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David, here Isaiah speaks to the Messiah, and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Again, we see this again and again. What? The messianic kingdom lasts forever. This is what this stone is that comes and smashes this kingdom. It is the Messiah. It is his rule and reign. And this is exactly what the angel tells Mary. We read it earlier in the service. When Mary gets the news that she will bear a son, even though she's a virgin, in Luke chapter 1, verse 31 through 33, the angel tells her that your baby will be the fulfillment of everything that the world has waited for. The son of David that is coming to smash the kingdoms in this world once and for all is coming. It's going to be your baby who's born in you. And and he says to her in verse 31 of Luke 1, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Brothers and sisters, there's no mistaking who this rock is. It's none other than the Lord Jesus and his kingdom. 
What good news this would have been for those exiles. What good news it would have been. Has God given up on us? What about David? What about the greater Moses that's to come? What do we do? No. God promised that David's throne will last forever. This is not the end. They just destroyed her city. They destroyed our temple. They destroyed everything. But we have a promise. And here's Daniel in the beginning of his exile and his training. And he gets this dream that reaffirms to him and the exiles that Nebuchadnezzar doesn't last forever, nor does the kingdom after Nebuchadnezzar or the kingdom after that or the kingdom after that. No kingdom lasts forever except the kingdom of our God. King Jesus will come one day and make every wicked king and every wicked kingdom blow away like the chaff in the wind. No matter how glorious they had been, no matter how mighty they had been, no matter how wealthy they have been, when King Jesus returns, and Lord may it be today, he will destroy them all in his wrath and fury. The kingdoms of this world are opposed to the kingdom of our God and of our Christ. But he will reign forever and ever. Those beautiful words from the Messiah. Amen. He will do this once and for all. And when does he do it? Well, these kingdoms begin to crumble. Of course, when he's here. He, he is born in Bethlehem, incarnated into human flesh lives a perfect life, dies on the cross, resurrects on the third day, ascends to heaven. And what is he doing in heaven? Is he waiting to rule and reign? No, he is ruling and reigning now, sitting on the right-hand side of the Father. Through his church, as the church takes the gospel to the nations, the kingdom is advancing, and it's been advancing more than ever in the last 200 years. The Holy Spirit sending missionaries to the field, discipling the nations. The Robertsons arrived this week in Kenya. Lord, may it be so. May it be so that you would work through them to save and disciple more there. The kingdom began and was inaugurated. Then Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Not that it's coming. The kingdom of God is near. When? His life. His death, his resurrection, his ascension, now and forevermore. He is sitting on his throne, the right-hand side of God, waiting for the day that his Father has appointed for him to return and to smash the kings of this world forever. And this is how it's described to us in Revelation chapter 19. When he comes, when he comes in Revelation 19, listen to this. John says, then I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and by, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on the white horses. 
From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This, my friends, in Revelation 19 is a picture of the stone coming from heaven to smash the kingdoms of this world. So they blow away like the chaff in the wind. This is the messianic kingdom. This is the kingdom that is exactly as described to us in Daniel chapter 2, in the Davidic covenant, and in the life and rule of King Jesus. But also, there's a lot more to this as well. There's a lot more to this as well. Daniel also says that when the stone came and smashed the feet of the statue in pieces, and the statue blew away like the chaff in the wind, that the stone that hit the earth became a mountain. And what happened to the mountain? It filled the earth. Everywhere you go, there is the stone. And so will it be so when King Jesus returns. King Jesus returns in all his glory. The kingdom of God is fully realized. The new heavens and new earth arrive. And everywhere you go, there is righteousness dwelling. No more sin, no more wicked politicians, no more wicked ideologies, no more abortion, no more homosexuality, no more pornography, no more lust or divorce. Righteousness dwells forever because Jesus rules through his people. And this kingdom expands, is what Jesus describes the kingdom of. It starts small, but it grows if you remember what he taught in Matthew chapter 13 of the kingdom, this, version, this uh, vision of the stone which hit and grew into a mountain and filled the earth will make more sense. And Matthew 13, remember, this is how he describes the kingdom. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. If you know mustard seed, it's very, very tiny. That a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Here Jesus describes his kingdom as a mustard seed. It comes in the beginning as very small, but over time it grows and grows and grows. So big that in the beginning the bird would have ate the mustard seed, but now the mustard seed is a perch to the birds of the air. Why? Because it has grown so big and glorious that even the birds sit on it. Jesus also says in verse 33 of Matthew 13, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So Jesus describes the kingdom like a little leaven and here a loaf and it ex makes it expand and grow. Again, we see the stone in Daniel chapter 2 hitting the statue in one place, but then it continues to grow and expand and fill the world. It reminds me of what Habakkuk says in chapter 2. That as far as, as, as the water covers the sea, so will the glory of God fill the earth. Everywhere you go, you see glory, glory, glory. That's a reality now. 
But everywhere you go in the new heavens and new earth and this eternal kingdom that lasts forever and ever, what do you see? You see believers. You see righteousness. You see worship. Not one ounce of rebellion rebelling against God. And it starts small. It starts in Bethlehem <laughs> as a baby. To Mary and Joseph. And it fills the whole world. The whole world. And how does it fill the world? Because Jesus ascended, beginning of Acts, and he gives his disciples a mission. The 120, the, the 11 disciples in the beginning of Acts, after the resurrection, all of a sudden they become 120. And a few days later, the 120 become 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. And from 3,000, the rest of the book of Acts, as we saw over the last two years, the gospel expands to the rest of the world. So much so, friends, that it reached you. So much so that somebody told you about Christ. Somebody told you that if you repent of your sins and believe in him alone, that you would be saved. What started small began to expand. So now that you see it everywhere, so that John in Revelation, what does he testify? I looked and behold, I saw a multitude of people. I saw a multitude of people from all tribes and tongues. From every people group on earth, around the world. What began as a Jewish movement with 12 disciples and a rabbi who is the incarnate Son of God, turns into an eternal messianic kingdom that includes Jew and Gentile. It includes Chinese, Spanish, African, and even Italians. <laughs> Sorry if you're Italian. Everywhere. What starts small becomes great. So that Daniel says that stone wrecks wrath on the statue, which represents the kingdoms of this world, but then it grows and grows, and it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And how does this happen? What does Jesus say before he leaves? He tells his disciples, go therefore, Matthew 28, 19, go there and make disciples of all nations. This is how the kingdom expands. This is how the kingdom is realized the church advances throughout the days and the places of this earth, through the ages of this earth, going to the unknown parts of this earth, to the ends of the earth, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And by the way, the verse before this is also just important. In Matthew 28, 18, how can Jesus say this? How can Jesus tell his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them and teach them everything I told you? Because verse 18 is so crucial that a lot of people leave out. He says what? All authority has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth. Why? Because he is king of kings and ruling now. This is why the gospel goes forward. We disciple and we send missionaries in the authority and name of King Jesus. 
This is why the gospel works. It's not our gospel. It's his gospel. It's his people that he is calling from around the world to be a part of his bride. And it cannot fail. And it lasts forever and ever. And once the last of the elect are gathered, he will come, institute the new heavens and new earth. And friends, that's what we've all waited for. It's what we've all dreamed about. It's what we have longed for. It's what creation has groaned after. What brought down the Roman Empire and made it brittle? It was the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of King Jesus made it brittle. And you think the way it all happened. In the first days of the book of Acts, you have the disciples being arrested, persecuted, killed, And 300 years later, the Roman emperor makes Christianity legal and makes Christianity the legal religion of the Roman Empire. What started small became great. And they got off track after that. But anyway, (laughs) reformation had to happen. But the point is simple. What is Daniel 2 all about? The kingdoms of this world will not last. Brothers and sisters, we should be extremely concerned about what's happening in our nation. About who is elected into office and what laws they are passing. But do not lose heart. The kingdoms of this world do not last forever. They all topple. They all fall down. You say, but Dan, we're the good guys. We're the United States of America. Certainly we last forever. The kingdoms of this world do not last forever. Only the kingdom of our God. Our nation's filled with wicked rulers and officials. And one day they will all have to answer to King Jesus. And if they refuse to repent, or as Psalm 2 puts it, Kiss the sun, lest he be angry. They will blow away like the chaff in the wind to face his wrath forever. They will be a distant memory. They will be a distant memory in history. Never to be found again. You can't find Nebuchadnezzar anymore, can you? Alexander the Great? The Caesars? None of them are here. But guess who's still sitting on his throne? King Jesus, King Jesus, one day he will topple all these kingdoms at his second coming. Second Peter 3, we read it earlier. Oh, we read it earlier. What do we do in light of this truth, brothers and sisters? Second Peter 3, Paul, Peter tells them, we wait, waiting and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, what do we wait for? New heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And why does it dwell? Because King Jesus sits on the throne. So take heart. Do not lose hope. Yes, the news is so depressing. Just shut it off, really. Take heart. It ends so well. Will it end in our lifetime? I don't know. 
will end in our grandchildren's lifetime? I don't know. We do not lose heart knowing these things and everything that has to happen must happen. Let the wicked be wicked. We wait for our God who topples all kingdoms. Let's pray. What a dream you gave to King Nebuchadnezzar, O God. What a dream. Lord, you warned him of your coming wrath. You warned him of his frailty and judgment that was to come, not only upon him, but all future kingdoms. That Daniel's God, that the God of the exiles is the true God. And from David's seed comes one who will rule and reign forever. On this side of history, we rejoice that he has come. We rejoice that he has accomplished all that he has set forth. We rejoice that he has given us a commission to make disciples of all the nations in his authority. And Father, we wait for the day. We wait for this day where this wicked world ends, the kingdoms of this world topple, and all that remains is the kingdom of our Christ growing like a mountain that fills the earth. Oh God, make it so. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Our faith is in you, our hope is in you. May you encourage the hearts of brothers and sisters in here this morning that are discouraged over the events of this world. And Father, I pray that this text also serves as a warning to those who do not have faith in Christ alone. They're still trusting in their works, their behavior, their morality, their wisdom, their religion to go to heaven. May they bow the knee to King Jesus, knowing that they need him as a sinner and that he's the only Savior, that he's died on the cross and resurrected on the third day, and he's coming again. Oh, God, help us. May your spirit do the work for which your word has been proclaimed and sent forth to do. In his name we pray. Amen.